If you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and keep your finger there. We're going to be a couple of different places before we delve into that passage, Uh, but that's going to be our primary text this morning. And we're continuing our study, Living as Citizens. I'm going to get you up on the computer. There's a little button that says live on the the left-hand side. If you'll click that, that'll throw it over to our PowerPoint. Thank you. Perfect. Living as citizens of heaven. Last week, we started off our series talking about what it was like living as an alien in this world. What it meant to to not be of this world. How important it was that our perspective is not temporary, but it's eternal. And how everything in our life should be shaped around not the here and the now, not the circumstances we have, not the good and the bad we experience in this life, but what God has for us in all of eternity. And this entire series through the month of March is helping us refocus our minds in every aspect of our lives, not on the temporary earthly mindset, but on the eternal heavenly mindset. And so as we do that, we're going to be looking at different aspects of life and how this eternal perspective, what living as citizens of heaven means for us in different areas of life here on earth. Before we delve into this morning's, I've challenged you, if you were here last week, see how well you did, to memorize our theme verse for this particular series, and that is Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. We're going to read it together here in just a minute. I've got it in the English Standard Version. That's the translation I use and what I preach out of. Maybe you've memorized it in a different version. That's fine. But I would challenge you to memorize this first, to remind yourself in every circumstance that we are not citizens of earth. As believers, there is something greater beyond this life. So this is our theme verse. encourage you to write it down, memorize it, and this morning, let's read it in the English Standard Version together. You can follow along on the screen, or if you have that particular copy in front of you, let's read that out loud together. It says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.20 This is a reminder that our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're not waiting for our circumstances to get better. No, we're waiting for the Savior, Jesus Christ, to return. And so this morning, I want to look at how this principle, living as a citizen of heaven, affects our relationships. How does living as a citizen of heaven affect our relationships? There's a lot in this morning's message that are going to, that's going to talk about a husband and wife relationship. But can I tell you that the application for this is all of our relationships. What does living as a citizen of heaven do or impact you in relation to your children, to your siblings, to your parents, to your co-workers and neighbors and peers and classmates and friends How does it affect how we interact with people? As we live as a citizen of heaven, what does that mean for our specific relationships here on earth? I I warned my wife, uh, and I said, this is not um, the most flattering sermon you'll ever hear on marriage. So uh, we're going to pump the brakes a little bit and, and remind ourselves of a very important truth before we jump into what Scripture tells us, how our lives should reflect heaven instead of earth. And so if you have your bulletin, I want you to write this down in the blanks, or if you're taking notes, write this principle down. Marriage is God's gift. 
Write that down because it's very important that we establish this before we go any further. Marriage is God's gift. There are some times that we need to know the whole context of Scripture or the whole context of a story before we hear the the rest. If we miss this key truth, we may listen to the rest of this message and decide marriage isn't important. Now, I want us to, to be clear that marriage is God's gift. Often when I'm teaching someone about the the Trinity, what it means to believe that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that He is three distinct persons and yet there's one God and it blows our minds, I'll start off by teaching it this way. Repeat after me, there is one God. We repeat that over and over and over again. Because if you start talking about the Trinity as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it's really easy to go, oh, there's three gods. So we lay down a foundation of this. There is one God. How many gods are there? Right. That same principle is what I want to start off with our message this morning. Before we get into what our relationships look like from a heavenly perspective, we need to remind ourselves of this absolute truth found all throughout Scripture. Marriage is God's gift. And so I want us to have that couched in our minds We know this because all of Scripture tells us that marriage is a gift from God and reflects His goodness to us. One of my favorite verses, and I have a lot of favorite verses, is found in Proverbs 18.22. It says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. This is not just a verse to butter up my wife. This is a verse that God has reminded us of, and I have found proven true in my life. A A gift from God your spouse is. God has blessed you with your spouse and it is something that God wants you to enjoy. If you are looking forward to marriage, can I tell you, it is God's gift one day that you should be married. If you are not yet married or maybe not ever married and not going to be married, there are passages in scripture that talk about that as well. As a matter of fact, we're going to look at one in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But we need to understand this truth. For those of you who are married, And those of you that will one day be married, you are blessed. The Lord has given you a gift. Your marriage is something that the Lord calls good all the way from the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, we see in six days God creates everything. On that sixth day, he's creating the beasts of the field and populating the world with land, animals. And then the culmination of his creation, as he puts a crown on his creation, he creates humanity. And humanity is different from the rest of creation. We've talked about this in sermons past. It's one of our core beliefs here at the church that man is created in God's image. We're different from the rest of creation. God created humanity unique. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it tells us specifically, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Did you catch that? Part of being made in the image of God is the fact that there are men and women and we've come together in marriage. This is not a mistake on God's part. It is not happenstance or evolutionary. It is not something that we just stumbled across. It's not as if God put two people on the earth and Adam and Eve decided, you know what, it'd be fun if we got married and had kids. No, God created humanity in this way. It is God's gift. I hope and pray that as we study this first truth, it is so ingrained in our minds how blessed it is to have a family 
God created us to be relational. God created us to, to love people. And so we see from the very beginning God's creation. This carries all the way through the Old Testament. You can read time and time again how God compares himself to a groom and Israel his bride. And Israel his bride is an unfaithful bride. She runs often, but God, in showing what marriage is supposed to look like, pursues Israel and loves her anyways. This carries on into the New Testament. As we, we read all throughout Paul's letters that, that Christ in the church is simply uh, something that can be expressed through our marriages. As a matter of fact, we read in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, that husbands are to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. If, if you don't see the gift of God in marriage in Ephesians 5.25, you're never going to see it. Wives, you have husbands who are called to sacrifice for you. Now, how did Jesus sacrifice? He laid down his life. Husbands, you have a responsibility to love your wife so well that you would give up everything for her. You would sacrifice everything for her. Ephesians 5 gives us some principles of what a marriage looks like. And it culminates in verses 31 and 32 where we have a quote directly from Genesis. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two will become one flesh. And this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Your marriage is a reflection of Christ and his church. It is a gift from God. And so before we look at any other aspect of our relationships from a heavenly point of view, we need to remind ourselves the goodness that is marriage. Marriage is God's gift. Now, I need, a, I need to know that you understand this truth before we go any further, because if, if you don't, then you're going to misconstrue what Paul is going to write to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So if you agree that what we've just studied briefly in Scripture, if you agree that marriage is God's gift, can you give me a hearty amen? amen? I hope and pray that you're not just saying that, but that you know you are blessed to have family relationships. Marriage, yes, but, but you can substitute to, to a, another extent a family and children and siblings and parents and relationships in my life are God's gift to me. God has created us as relational beings. He wants us to know and love each other deeply. And then we open up 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And if we don't have this truth that marriage is God's gift to us, we will misread this passage. This is my disclaimer before we read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. For some of you, you may have never read these words before, and it might shake you a little bit. But we're going to study what Paul is writing, what God is teaching us through his word, how our marriages should reflect an eternal perspective, not just an earthly one. Let's read together in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 29. Read carefully with me. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Verse 30. Those who mourn as though they were not mourning, those who rejoice as they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as they had no goods, those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. 
Verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. The unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things and how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure the undivided devotion to the Lord. If you read all of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul will go on to say, as an unmarried man, if you are able, it's good for you to remain unmarried. Give your life to the Lord and, and not to another. We read this chapter and we, we scratch our heads because the rest of Scripture says marriage is a gift. Pursue marriage. Reflect Christ in the church. And Paul says, listen, our days on this earth are growing short. There's work to be done. And if you're married, your attention may be divided. Focus then on the Lord and not on a spouse. He gives principles in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He says, if you are already married... By no means, do not leave your spouse. You're called to stay married. Don't say, I'm going to serve the Lord. You're on your own, right? No, stay married, Paul says very clearly. He says, if you're not married, you may want to think long and hard about ever getting married. Maybe God's calling to a life of devotion to him and not to a person. And he gives us this strange warning. We read it just a minute ago, right? The unmarried man, the single man, his anxieties and his worries are all about, God, what do you want me to do? But the married man, oh, his, his anxieties are divided. He's got one foot in, Lord, let me serve you, and one foot in, I need to take care of my family. So there's this strange warning in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, before we explain more of what Paul is saying here, because it's profound, let's remind ourselves of that first truth. Marriage is a gift from God. Marriage is God's gift to you. So we cannot take all of Scripture and throw it out and go, God doesn't want us ever to be married. God doesn't want us to focus on our families. God doesn't want us to care about our spouses. All of Scripture screams, love your wife, love your husband, care for your children, respect your parents. The greatest commandment for crying out loud is God saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second is like it, not lesser than it. It's like it. Love your neighbor, those with you, the, who you have relationships with. Care about people as you would yourself. All of Scripture screams, relationships matter and are important. And now Paul writes, the time is short. Consider devoting yourself to God and not to people. What is Paul saying here? I think the, the first truth we can pull out of 1 Corinthians 7 is this. Any relationship can be an idol. It doesn't matter how God-given and blessed that relationship is. Any relationship can be an idol. Kids who are still in here and haven't gone to children's church, I've got, I've got something profound to share with you. You don't get to choose your parents. You don't. Not a single one of you did. Every single one of you were given parents by God. And, and maybe you came about a, a natural way. Maybe you came about God's grace another way. But, but your parents right now did not have anything to do with you going, I think I'll pick Pastor Trey as my dad today. It doesn't work that way, right? God has given you that. Parents, can I say to a, a great extent, you did not pick your children. 
Oh, you, you had a hand in bringing them into this world. That's a, another time when we let all of our kids go. But you had a time in bringing your kids into the world. You made some choices, decisions. Possibly you, you have even more control over how your children came under your house, depending on the circumstances. But can I tell you, God is not outside of that control either. The whole reason why you have the kids that you have is because God wills that you have the kids that you have. You had actions and decisions and desires, but, but God gave you your children. I think the same can be applied to your spouse. The same can be applied to your siblings. The same can be applied to your neighbors. Everyone in our lives is God-given, and therefore we can see them as a gift. And yet, just because they are God-given does not mean we don't abuse it and turn it into an idol sometimes. There's a lot, and I mean a lot, of marriage worship in churches. I want to be very clear, and I I warned my wife, this isn't the most flattering marriage sermon ever. I love my wife more than any of you. (laughs) And I don't even care what you think about that. That includes my children, and I love my children so much, but I love my wife first. I've loved her longer than I've loved them. (laughs) There's no one on this planet I care more about than Hannah. And yet, it's very easy for me to turn my focus away from what God wants me to do and turn my focus on trying to please my wife. It's a gift from God. And yet any relationship can become an idol. Your children can become idols. I think we see this often with sports. We worship a ball instead of worship the throne. I'm so... So aware of the fact that I care so much about my children that I'd rather give to them than I would to the church. And it's wrong. We look and we say, God, you've given me this gift and you've called me to bless my children and invest in them. And and it very quickly can become idol worship if we take our attention off of Christ. And Paul is saying, don't do that. The married man has a temptation to split his division between God and his family. That's why Paul says it may be better for some of you not to ever get married at all because the temptation would be to worship your family. Don't do that. We read 1 Corinthians 7, 33 and 34a. says exactly that. The married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. His interests are divided. That is the pinnacle of what false worship is, a divided interest between God and anything else. There's a warning here that your relationships here on earth should not, cannot pull you away from your devotion to what God has called you to do. I'm here to tell you a promise, and I believe this with all of my heart. I can back it up with Scripture, and we'll be happy to sit down and explain it to you later. If you are serving the Lord, and your spouse is serving the Lord, and you both want God's will for your life, you will disagree from time to time. But if you're both seeking the Lord, you will always end up on God's path, and you will not be divided. The trouble comes is when I take my eyes off serving the Lord and I serve myself or I serve what I think is best in my own interest for my own family. That's where the division comes. That's where the danger comes. When again, we're not focusing on eternity. We're focusing on the here and the now. Paul says, don't be divided in your relationships. Look at the the ones you care and love for and love and care for them the way Scripture calls you to. Marriage is God's gift, but don't ever let it become an idol where you worship God's gift more than you worship God. 
So what is Paul specifically telling us? And how does this apply to our living out our daily lives as citizens of heaven and not citizens of earth? I think what Paul is trying to point us to is this. Invest in eternal relationships. Invest in eternal relationships. I love talking to to Mormons. I'm weird like that. When they come and knock on my door, if I'm busy, I'll set an appointment with them. Can you come back at this time? I really would like to talk to you. I've had two more Mormon missionaries a few years ago that spent, I don't know how many hours, sitting in my office just talking about the Bible. They asked me a ton of questions. One of them, I hope seeds were planted because, man, he was really confused on some things. I hope that God was working in his heart. But one of the ones I love to to catch him on is a verse that that Jesus quotes, a verse that, that Jesus shares with us in the Gospels. When they try to trick him and they say, there's a woman who got married to a man, but he died, so she married another man, and he died, and she married another man. I think they were all brothers, and he died, and this happened seven times. When she gets to heaven, who's she married to? There's seven different husbands. And I don't think Jesus said this, but it had to be going through his mind. He had to be thinking, she should stop marrying that family, you know? But she doesn't. Honestly, the the brothers probably should be thinking, not me, your turn, right? But here's what Jesus does say. He says, heaven is not like that. As a matter of fact, in heaven, you won't be given to marriage, nor will there be marriage. There'll be no husband and wife between two people in heaven. Boy, this shakes a Mormon missionary, because that's their whole theology. I'm going to be married forever. And you say, Jesus says this, and they scratch their heads, and not one time have they been able to, to answer that for me. But while I love stumping Mormons, I've got to be honest with you, it stumps me a little bit too. Because I, I married my wife, and I have intention of being married to her for forever. And there's a realization I've come to that there's going to come a day that those words that we utter commonly in our vows is going to come to pass, till death do us part. And at that point, we will be parted. Hannah said often, she, she likes this principle. She doesn't mind living next door to me, but she wants her own mansion, right? I understand. I get it, right? So there's not eternal relationships in heaven in marriage. You are not married to the person you are married to now for all of eternity. You are married to the groom, Christ, his church. Men, women alike, you become, in that illustration, the bride And for all of eternity, you have the most important relationship, your relationship with Christ. So the the principle here that Paul is trying to say is, is stay focused on these eternal relationships. Stay focused on the things that will last beyond the here and the now. That's why he says in verse 31, And those who deal with the world as though they have no dealings with it, for this present form of this world is passing away. The way things are right now and the way you relate to people right now will not be the same in eternity. That does not mean don't have value. Let's go back to our first truth. Marriage is a gift from God. Love your wife. Love your husband. Love your children. Love your parents. Love your neighbor. But the way you're loving them now will not be the way you love them in eternity. This present form is passing away. So to worship these relationships is troublesome. I think more importantly, if we're going to invest in eternal relationships, we're going to connect people with the only relationship that lasts for eternity. I want to say something really bold this morning, and and it's hard for me to even say the words because I, I I don't like to think of 
till death do me till death do us part. But leading someone to Christ is a greater relationship than your marriage. Let me say that again. Leading someone to Christ has eternal impacts in ways that your marriage does not. Now, there is no division here. It does not have to be one or the other. It is not marriage or evangelism. Instead, I think Paul would say, if you're married, don't divide your attention. Do both. As we close this morning, I think of of the relationships God's calling us to invest in. I can't help but think of of Adoniram Judson. He, He was the first Baptist missionary from the United States of America. And very early on in his life, he married Anne Hasseltine, uh, February 5th, 1812. And about two weeks after their marriage, they headed to Burma and spent their entire rich marriage faithfully serving the Lord in Burma. A month after Judson had met his soon-to-be wife, he wrote Anne a letter asking to be his suitor. Basically, in in modern-day times, it's like a proposal. I want to commit myself to marry you. And it took her some time to answer back, and she kind of was aloof and said, you can't ask me, you have to ask my father. You you need to get permission from him. So Adoniram Judson promptly sent her dad this letter. Listen to this letter. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps violent death. Can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you? For the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion in the glory of God, can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness? brightened with the acclamations of praise which shall resound to her Savior. From heathens saved, through her means, from eternal woe and despair. Signed, Adoniram Judson. got to be honest, this is not the letter I wrote to my father-in-law when I asked for Hannah's hand. To his credit, John Hasseltine, told a friend of his he'd rather tie his daughter to a bedpost than let her go across the world. But he consented. Two weeks after they were married, they go to Burma. They leave Burma where Anne spent the rest of her life and died, never seeing her family again. I can't think of a better picture of understanding in John Hasseltine's mind that it is far greater that his daughter invests in the eternal relationships of the people of Burma than his own. I wonder this morning, what relationships do we invest in? By all means, love your spouse. Please do. It's biblical, and it's so important to reflect Christ in the church. 
By all means, spoil your children and love them fully. Give them all that you can. By all means, honor your parents. Love them. Take care of them for the duration of your life and theirs. But don't forget the most important relationships God has put around you. Don't forget that that God has not put you on a temporary planet so that you can gather up temporary relationships. No, God has called you, fervently called you to invest in relationships that last. Who needs to know the Lord? Who of you in here needs to know the Lord? As we get ready to dismiss this morning, we're reminded of our verse. We We are citizens of heaven. We eagerly await Christ to come back. And yet until that time, there's work to be done, relationships to invest in, the gospel to share. Let's pray together. Father, you are so good to us to give us good gifts. Lord, you're so good to us to give us marriage and family and friendships. And and Lord, you've created us relationally in this way. Yet, Father, we have a tendency to focus more on the here and the now, the gifts you've blessed us with today. And we forget about the eternal relationships that last forever. Father, give us a heart for the people who need to know you. Lord, even this morning, I'm well aware that there are some who who don't understand what that sacrificial love looks like. And we pray, Lord, that your spirit would convict hearts. Say, I need to know what's worth giving up everything for. Lord, I pray this morning that you would show your son, Jesus Christ, clearly in our hearts. Not just what he's done for us, but what he can do for others. Lord, make us faithful, faithful to serve you and share that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.